The gospel lesson comes from the evangelist Luke, reading from the 24th chapter. This is the third appearance story recorded by Luke. It's the less familiar one from chapter 24, the more familiar one being the road to Emmaus. And this takes place later that day. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I, myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wandering, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable unto you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the season of tragedy and triumph. And I'm not talking about UVA's humiliation in the first round of the NCAA basketball tournament. Or for that matter, the losses of other ACC favorites like UNC, Duke, and Virginia Tech, as opposed to victorious Villanova. I mean biblical stories of the season. The triumph of Palm Sunday and the tragic betrayal and death of Good Friday There's the tragedy of the disciples' dashed hopes and the triumph of Easter morning. There's the triumph of seeing the risen Jesus. And there is the shrouded uncertainty of what life and faith the day after Easter is going to be all about. The disciples who had expected great things out of Jesus found their hopes totally dashed. They had spent three years with him. Their whole present and future was tied up in him. Then in one short week, their whole world collapsed. They had no idea of a triumph coming in just three days. All they knew was that their beloved Jesus was dead and buried. And then, even after those first resurrection appearances, and even seeing, especially seeing, a ghost-like Jesus with fresh wounds to body and feet, they still were baffled. Confused, disturbed, worried, overwhelmed. 
They didn't know how they could possibly go on. The stories of the resurrection and the appearances of the risen Jesus tend to separate us from the biblical world. They are so unlike our faith experiences today. Luke's story of the risen Jesus suddenly showing up at a disciple's Sunday night covered dish dinner is one story, however, that brings the world of the Bible and our world closer together. When Jesus appears to his disciples, he asks, what have you got to eat? And they give him a piece of broiled fish. Now, Jesus eating a piece of broiled fish is not just a curious detail of our Lord's preference for fish over fried chicken. Jesus eating a piece of fish is Luke's affirmation and reminder of the humanity of Jesus. Jesus really was human, really was one of us. Jesus really hungered and thirsted and suffered and worried, just like we do. In Honest to God, his provocative book of the 1960s, the late Bishop John A.T. Robinson emphasized the radical humanity of the God-man Jesus. God is to be found at the point where things really matter to us, Robinson wrote. God seems most times to come in only at the edges of life, out there somewhere. But Jesus shows God belongs to the center of our lives. And that is what Luke's story affirms. The earthly Jesus and the risen Christ are one. Jesus comes to us precisely where we are, sharing our needs and hopes, and guiding us in our day-to-day lives. Remember his words from the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knew the disappointments of life, the tragedies, the sadness. His closest friends let him down when he needed them the most. One of them even betrayed him. Jesus experienced the same sorrows and doubts we know. And he endured it all. And because he endured it all, we have a hope that we can endure it all. We can go on. We can go on because in Jesus Christ, God has become human flesh, suffering as we suffer and enduring pain as we endure pain. And so we can go on even when we feel like giving up because we have a God who has come and entered our human lives. I think it's no accident that every one of the resurrection appearances was to a group of believers. There was, first of all, those women at the tomb on Easter morning, then the two disciples who ran to see the empty tomb, Two more disciples who meet up with Jesus on the Emmaus Road. The appearances of Jesus with the twelve, both when Thomas was absent and when Thomas was present. Our story from Luke for today. In each case, these foundational faith experiences, these accounts of seeing the risen one, occurred not to individuals, but to groups. Christian faith has been communal and community-based from the day Jesus first called disciples 
to leave their nets and follow him and form a community of disciples. As a community, we gather for worship, study, fellowship, and service. As a corporate body, we craft what we believe, and then as a congregation, we affirm what we believe. Even our sacred texts are products of communities of faith, which wrote, preserved, and passed down the religious experiences of the people of God. Hillary Rodham Clinton popularized an African proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. Christian faith affirms it takes the village of the church to raise a child or to nurture an adult in the Christian life, for that is the way the Christian life is lived and passed on through intimate and life-sustaining relationships. Christian faith assumes that my well-being and your well-being cannot be separated. Christian faith is communal and community-based. Jesus' summation of religious obligation expresses it so well. You shall love the Lord your God and your neighbor as you love yourself. In church, we are called to be here for each other. And being here for each other, we become the community of the church we are called to be. Breaking down those barriers which divide us and building up those bonds which can support us. In the church, we can go on even when we feel like giving up. Among the contemporary Christian writers who speak to me is Anne Lamott. She can be deeply spiritual in one breath and take your breath away with the saltiest of language the next. She has profound insight into into faith and the human condition. For example, she writes this about loss and grief. You will lose someone you can't live without and your heart will be badly broken. And the bad news is that you never completely get over the loss of your beloved But this is also the good news. They live forever in your broken heart that doesn't seal back up. And you come through. It's like having a broken leg that never heals perfectly, that still hurts when the weather gets cold, but you learn to dance with a limp. Or about grace, she writes, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are but does not leave us where it found us. A couple of years ago, I had a chance to meet Anne Lamott in person and hear her when she spoke at the church I was serving at the time when we hosted an evening uh, of her presentation. It was a grand night of spiritual nourishment, to say the least. But among all the stories she told that night and the quips she quipped, Six of her words have stayed with me more than all of the others. Trust the captain, trust the crew. Trust the captain, trust the crew. By Anne Lamott's own admission, those words are not hers. The phrase was the title of an episode of that hit TV series that ran from 1999 to 2006, The West Wing. It was a series about a wise and mature, well-meaning president surrounded by capable associates. 
It was a fictional series. Well, the Trust the Captain, Trust the Crew episode had something to do with a U.S. Navy submarine that was in trouble in North Korean waters. Art does imitate life. The U.S. president was stuck with a political dilemma. If he did nothing, the boat might provoke an international incident when its presence was discovered and lives might be lost. On the other hand, if he radioed the submarine to ascertain the situation, the boat would be discovered at once and for sure an international incident would follow. And again, the likelihood of lives being lost was very real. Ultimately, the president decides the best thing to do is to let the captain and the crew handle the situation on their own. Confident of the wisdom of the captain, and the loyalty, discipline, and competence of the crew, the president opts to trust the captain, trust the crew. For Anne Lamott, trust the captain, trust the crew, is shorthand for what it means to live in faith. What it means to live in the community of the church. How it is that we individually and we as a congregation Find the strength and the capacity for dealing with crisis, disappointment, despair, and anxiety. How it is that we grow in grace. And how in grace we grow in our witness to the good news of God being revealed in Jesus Christ. And how do we do all that? How do we go on even when we feel like giving up? What do Christians do? We entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, the captain of our souls. We trust the crew of Christ's church to be faithful witnesses to the loving activity of God. We trust the crew and the members of the crew trust each other. Trust the captain, trust the crew. Serve the captain. Join the crew. Alleluia. Amen.